Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carbide Content. I am one of your hosts, Stalin from MachineWise. I am David from Contraption Collection. And I'm John with Triaxis. All righty. I know I've been extremely busy recently. I don't even know if I was here last podcast, was I? Uh, I don't know if... Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. Catch me up. What, what's been going on? What did I miss? Well, let's, uh, I mean, you want to talk about, you've got a cool project that you've sent pictures of. I don't know if you've talked about it publicly yet. You're talking about, about me, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm down to talk about all of the things I've been working on. Okay. That, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we can just go right into it. Um, so I'm assuming you're talking about the pen, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, so we have been working on a pen in the background for the last, oh gosh, month and a half to two months now. Um, we got some prototypes made out of brass that I was pretty happy with, so we moved on to uh, a final design review, and then we're now in the like the first production run of them. We're doing a small batch of like 15 to 20 right now, um, all out of titanium. And so we, I got the the pen bodies, the titanium pen bodies, into production this weekend, and that was a journey. Yeah, I can see a picture. Um, you, you, so, like, the pen is is just like you're starting with a tube, or not a tube. You're starting with a raw a, a bar, right? You're drilling through all the way. Mm-hmm. And I then, am, yeah. And then it looks like you're not just keeping it a cylinder; like you're making it uh, have some angle to the body i guess yeah so the um i wasn't too involved in the design the design was all our engineer's design and uh, he's a big pen person so he he understands you know the ergonomics of a pen and how it should be i guess um so i'm just making what he designed but yeah it it tapers up so it's not just you know a a solid diameter bar it's uh Mm -hmm. it tapers up and then tapers back down has a bunch of uh milling like grooves milled into the diameter um yeah so it's been a struggle getting them into production but i finally finally got it what's uh what's been the struggle there were two struggles um so the first one is you know doing a quarter inch hole 13 times deep so you know it's almost three inches deep uh without through cool or through tool coolant was definitely a pain oh man so what Um, is what's the strategy to do something like that uh, have the right drills, which I do, fortunately. OSG makes some really, really nice uh, deep drilling drills. They So you start it with a pilot drill. It's a special pilot drill, and then you swap over to your long drill. Um, and the tools have through tool coolant, but I don't have it set up on my lathe to run that with through tool coolant yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was trying to follow OSG's feeds and speeds and like recommended pec depths and all of that. But uh, without without getting proper coolant you know, on the cutting tip, uh, I I basically turned them into glowing pieces of carbide. Oh boy. Yep. Somehow though, those like both of the drills I made like they glue red. Like I I welded titanium to them, and they're actually still running perfectly fine. Wow. Yeah, I'm very surprised. But yeah, it was really just a matter of slowing things down, reducing my pec depth, and then uh, doing the best I can to get as much coolant to the. So drill you only and- need. You only need two drills total? Yep, just two drills. So it's just a little stubby um, pilot drill and then a super long 13 times diameter uh, deep drill. And that's working really great. You need to like thread the inside of it? Yeah, so each end has a a super custom thread on it. It's a, uh, 
What is it? Or is it on the out? Or is it like a yeah? So the, the body, the OD, or the or the ID thread, or the OD thread. The body Male. is the ID thread. So body is the female thread, basically, and it's the same thread on both ends. Um, right. Okay. It, it's a super custom like thread that there is no thread like it. It's it's a the major diameter is like three hundred thou, and it's a it's a sixty four thread per inch thread. <laughs> You just like that number or something. No, I, I really do. It's part, part of it is because I'm using the same threading tools as our pivots and our screws. Oh, okay. Now that makes... Yep. No. We were going to do a... Uh, we were initially going to do a, a 5 sixteenths, uh What is it? 5 sixteenths 24 or something is the like fine thread for 5 sixteenths. Yeah. Well, I don't remember, but sure. I think it's that. And then it just sort of evolved into this because my tools allow me to do this. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if uh, if there'd ever be a bad reason for something like that to have not a weird or to have not a standard thread. Yeah, right. Um. So yeah, that I thought that was going to be the hardest part of these pen bodies, and I was terribly mistaken. That actually went all things considered pretty smoothly. Um, lathes are a lathes are a pain, and they're a time sink when it comes to setting them up. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like like Swiss lathes are the worst, and you know whenever you have a new Swiss lathe job you know you expect to take at least 20 30 hours on the setup uh i didn't expect oh, that to be the case though for this part on a standard you know subspindle lathe because mm-hmm. the hard part on it was uh so it's a really long tube all things considered relative to its diameter so you know just trying to turn the whole thing unsupported just doesn't work um and so i have to come up with a subspindle and grab it pull it out a little bit and then clamp on both and then sink the c-axes and then use the the subspindle as a support when I'm doing the rotary milling for the for the grooves on the body, mm-hmm. and uh, so I have a roughing and a finishing toolpath for that. And the roughing and the finishing toolpath, so I had to do a bunch of manual programming to sync up the spindles properly because Fusion doesn't have the best support for things like that. Yep. So that was a couple hours of of you know learning all the codes and what had to be active and what didn't. And then I thought I had everything going. I would, uh, you know, I proved through the program with optional stop on, stopped it a few times, reran it from certain areas, and it worked great. Then I ran one more part, optional stop off, and the roughing and the finishing for the milling were out of phase by like 90 degrees. Oh. And so then I reset it, ran it again with optional stop back on, and they were, they were correct. Oh boy. <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, cool. It must have been a fluke. Let's run it again without optional stop. And they were out of phase again by 90 degrees. And each part is like a 45 minute cycle time. Um, hmm. So I did this. I did this straight for like, I think almost 10 hours, just back and forth, tweaking small things here and there, trying to figure out why they would sometimes go out of phase of each other. Um, and no. I solved it, but I still don't exactly know what was going on. This is so much more minor, but. I, I feel like I've had a weird optional stop issue too, where um I got one of the chip fans. You know, you uh-huh. put in your, your machine, it blows all the yeah, coolant yeah. chips off your parts. Um, <clears throat> the company I bought it from uh, had a little video that was like, if you want to increase the life of your chip fan, program your machine so it goes to 1400 RPM and then up to 7000 or whatever. Okay. Like, just give it a second at a lower RPM for the blades to split out, to swing oh. out, and then do the full so speed. Yeah, so they don't swing out like way too hard and sh- snap off. Yeah, so it's just like uh, if it just will last longer apparently if you do that. And so I, oh. I programmed a little pass through code, and mm-hmm. it works. 
uh, I have to remember this. It's been a few days. I might be getting it wrong, but like, I think if uh, I think it works the way I did it, where it just uh, right before I used a little facing pass to you know face over the part to blow off all the chips, uh-huh. and uh, right before that, it's just like turn on spindle, you know, dwell for a second for uh, you know at fourteen hundred RPM, then the next operation it's fifteen hundred, and if you do option stop on i think um it doesn't stop the program but it does turn off the spindle and then turn it back on for the next program ah yes i think and like it doesn't just continuously go from 1400 to 800 it puts a zero in between defeating the whole point of it yeah right i hope that was is that with an mo or an mo1 um mo1 Oh, 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 right, right, right. For the option stop. Uh no, it's just it's just whatever G code. Uh it's it's MO1 and it's it's you know from the the compiler uh from Fusion right. or the post processor. Well, yeah, some it's just that uh some machines uh will stop the spindle when it sees an MO1 and optional stop is on or an M0. Uh but then other machines won't stop the spindles. Like my uh my Miltronics, if I have optional stop on or even an MO. It'll go home, but it won't turn the spindle off until it sees an MO8, which is really interesting. Hmm. Well, what's what's weird is like it sometimes does what I want, where it it turns up the speed and then, uh, you know, goes to whatever. So so what I figured out is it won't turn off the spindle if uh if it if it knows it's on the same tool if it hasn't if it's not like doing anything different and uh-huh. so. What I did is I just picked like a random bit of geometry to do a contour with the fan. So it just does like a, you know, tiny little move contour above the part yep. at 1400 RPM. And then it does the facing pass at, you know, 7000 RPM. Yeah. And, uh, and that'll work because it doesn't, it doesn't see it as a different thing. Right. Um, so, so it always 100% keeps the spindle on just at different speeds. What's yeah. it not? Not doing it's you're giving it like a S fourteen hundred and then an S twelve thousand and it's not going from one to the other. Yeah, so uh when I first did it, I just I, I made a, a facing pass at eight thousand RPM. Mm-hmm. And then I saw like, oh, if you want to increase the life of your fan, just add a thing that goes to fourteen hundred for half a second before it goes to seven thousand. So I just yeah. added in that G code infusion as you know a little pass-through thing and that works uh unless you have option stop on so if you just have like a whole you know hundred tool program go through everything and the last one's the fan it'll read the g code it'll you know do the right speeds uh you know 1400 and 8000 it's fine but if you have option stop where like you just are going through the tools one by one then it turns on the fan and then turns off the fan and then turns it back on for no reason. There's no option stop in between those steps, but it just it just it looks at the machine looks at the code differently or something. Hmm. It's weird. It's all it's like such a minor thing and it like I just, you know, made it a contour instead of a uh G code, manual G code, but uh yeah, it's weird that it does that. Is that cuz Fusion's slapping the pass through right at the bottom of another toolpath? I think that's essentially what it's going on. What's going on? I I think it labels it and like sort of separates it, but I I think 
something about it makes it think it's part of the last tool. Maybe the reason it worked, you said it does it only sometimes. Well, it, the sometimes is I'm pretty sure if you have options stop on. Okay. Because I've had it to where you do that. And then if you do reorder tools or re, like rearrange tools or whatever, oh, right. it'll mess up where that uh, pass through is and do weird stuff like that. I That's definitely a possibility because I think when I was last using it, I was uh, making buttons which are like patterns of patterns of patterns where I like I'm stacking up buttons and I'm patterning them in space. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to choose for the tool order and all these patterns gets weird. Um, and like, yeah, so uh, maybe I was really messing up the, the pass through thing. Gotcha. So Dalen, what, what did it end up being if you figured it out? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I figured it out. Um, so I was playing around in MDI, you know, uh, turning on C axis for main and sub and then syncing them and then just jogging it by hand mm-hmm. to see, uh, what I learned is that depending on which axis is either enabled first or enabled last, I don't know which one it'll change, which one is the, is the driving axis from what I can tell, mm-hmm. because sometimes I would, uh, when I go to jog C after trying a whole bunch of different, you know, uh, C axis control on for main and sub and then turning them off. Sometimes the main spindle would be the one that would jog in C and sometimes the sub spindle would be the one that jogs in C. So I have a lot to learn there still. But what it was is I took two separate tool paths from Fusion and then I, I manually stitched them together with the, with all the syncing codes. Mm-hmm. And I have to have the sub spindle move off of the part to then bring the turret home to tool change to the next tool then bring it back up and bring the sub back up. Mm-hmm. So I had to I basically had to had to phase them and sync them twice. There was a uh, a G twenty eight H zero, which is a uh, send C to home, and I think where it was, it was in between one of the phasing codes, and so it sent one spindle home, but the other one stayed. Gotcha. And I so I think that's what it was. Um, it was an absolute fever dream. Like it was like twenty hours straight that I was working on this until I finally got it solved. So. Hmm. Yeah, right. mine's kind of weird too. Where like, if you option stop and you had like G fifty five, which uh-huh. is the sub spindle, and that C value for the main is different, that'll like, and you hit option stop for some reason, it's like, hey, I'm gonna like a G fifty four's C value instead. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it was actually related to optional stop. Like I feel like it had to be because I ran the same program like four times and got too good, too bad, and the only difference was optional stop at the time. Um, but now I've, I've got it working. I've ran 15 parts in a row now and they're all good. So that's cool. Nice. Um, And this is the body is definitely, it's at least tied on to be the hardest part alongside the clip. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think after the pen body, I'm going to work on the clips and then from there it'll be like easy, easy stuff. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, that's the. That's the lathe front. Pens are going great. Um, we've managed to build up a pretty decent bulk of hardware, which has allowed me to, you know, play on the lathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you are you selling them now, or are you just still working on the pens? No, no, no. yeah, we're not selling them yet. It's not really even all that public. Like some people know about it. I think I talked about it a little bit here and there on the podcast, but uh, it, like I haven't posted anything about it on Instagram or anything. Gotcha. Yep. I want to have some available at Blade Show West in two weeks. Um. 
I think you showed the click mechanism. So, like, if you put a pen ink thing in it, it uh-huh. it'll work. Yeah. So I uh, there's the video that I put up on in our Discord of it of it functioning. Uh, I just don't remember because uh, that was I think a little while ago. Yeah, it and was also a video. the podcast people aren't going to be able to see that. Yeah. So, yeah, so you but... can it'll it'll will it write? Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a fully functioning pen. It just I have, we haven't made the clips for it yet. Is the oh one there it thing. is? Okay, yeah, right. Um, so the clip is next up on the on the chopping block, but uh, yeah, I want to have at least a couple available at Blade Show. It is like our you prototypes should... are fully functioning though. Even if you can't get the clip, like I like pens. I have a little collection of pens, fountain yeah. pens in ballpoint. I've never used a pocket clip in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, I'm I'm a little pen. torn honestly. Like I. I think it looks so much better without a pocket clip. Um, but I know there's a lot of people like I, it'll probably be a 50 50 as to who wants a clip and who doesn't. So I just I want to get the clips at least dialed in that way. Actually, I know. I'm I'm a liar. I've probably used them just never in a shirt pocket. I've probably in my like cargo pants put them in like a cargo pocket. With OK. A clip. Yep. But still, yeah, I don't think I think you could sell them without a clip. You could sell some some V1s, some betas. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to do that, but no, I if we're going to release it, I want it to be uh, fully done because the clip is going to be another... Pro- like, it'll probably take me 30 to 40 hours to get the clip into production. Yeah. Yep. My main issue is... is uh, That's what's actually delayed the ballast scissors. That's the only thing. I'm working on a pocket on clip. I'm working oh, on a pocket okay. clip, you know. It's taking so long. I feel like there's sarcasm in there. <laughs> it's completely... It's completely okay. <laughs> okay, not some, a lot. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. No, I'm still still uh, chugging away with tolerances and bends and all that stuff. Hopefully making good progress. Okay. I mean, yeah, you want to dig into that a little bit? I saw you made some check gauges for your for your blade, I think Zen pin uh locations. Yeah, so I I I actually haven't done that much that's exciting to talk about this week. And so this afternoon, I'm like, I'm going to try to make this. I think I've maybe tried making these before, but they okay. came out bad because I didn't know what I was doing as much. Yeah. Um, these ones came out better. Okay. Uh, I actually want to change them a little bit. But uh, so what they are, I'll explain what they are, but then maybe you guys can help me solve a problem. Is I yeah. just made some little blocks of aluminum that have two dowel pins pressed in them. And the only purpose is on the neck of my my scissors where like the metal kind of comes in i just want to measure that distance okay and i want to get a good handle on that because like in the computer it should be perfectly about 365 you know 0.365 inches right i think that's actually too small of number because with play everything has a little bit of play in it when you like flip the ballast scissors closed so that the Zen pins are touching that, uh-huh. um, th- there's actually like enough wiggle or whatever that you actually want like a little more metal. So instead of 365, I feel like it should be like 370. Okay. If that makes any sense. It and does, it, yeah. And it has an effect on the button and stuff too. I think it makes it more intuitive. And so I'm trying to figure out what that number is and make sure that every uh, scissor I'm hard milling the final dimensions of the neck, I actually am hitting the right number. And so right. to measure this, it's hard to measure. And so 
I've I've tried calipers. Calipers kind of work, but they have a small flat spot, so I'm not sure how accurate it is. I've tried an ID mic where it has two round pins, and it's measured. It's meant for measuring like the inside of something, but I just have it so that I can use it backwards and measure stuff, and that's what I've mostly done. Um, but yeah, it's it's like uh, I I don't know. There might be other measuring tools I can use, but I think I like having fixed gauges anyway. And so uh, the thing I'm curious about, you guys might know with Fusion is, uh, I just want like to quickly, uh, like have a bunch of these set up where they're like the holes are spread apart in thousandth of an inch increments, right? Um, like, is there any kind of function I could do where it would get me all these, you know, different blocks with slightly different hole spacings without having to manually type in the number and, and like redraw things or make a, you know, 20 different components. Yes. But Dalen, if you have something, um, I was going to say you could use a linear pattern and then control the control the spacing, but John probably has something a little more fancy in mind that works better. So I haven't used it at all, but I watched a couple videos on it to kind of get familiar with them, but configurations can probably do what you oh, want. Yeah. yeah so I, I, have you, I've seen this in other software before. So basically I was like, you, if you read the description on it, you're like, okay, cool. What's the point kind of thing. But after watching a couple videos, I'm like, oh, okay. It makes sense. So configurations, you can do that. So instead of like just parameters where you change something and then it just updates the model, the configurations will actually create or, uh, change a bunch of models at once kind of thing yeah. with the way the configurations are. I have not messed with them. So that's about all I know, but that's definitely something you can do with them based on what I saw. When was that yeah. implemented? Um, like last month or two months ago, I think. And it's that's been why in, I don't know about it yet. Yeah, it's pretty new. It's been in like a alpha stage for a while too. Right. Before it's, that, I'm all I'm kind of annoyed that there's so much uh, like variable control and uh, and like con- configurations now for like families of parts because I don't need it anymore. Whereas the job I used to work at, I would have loved to have that. Yeah, my my weird problem with all of it is there's so many different ways to handle multiple things that I'm like, I'm not really sure what the correct way to do anything is anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. I remember like in 2019 at artist university, there was someone I knew or met there who he used inventor and he like had this little class where he talked about how he configures different products where his example was like an uh, someone who does like air conditioning duct work and he he made a thing inside of Autodesk Inventor where you just like type in like you know I think we need this size ducts and it's probably going to go this many feet and it's you know uh we need them wider than long or something and we need this many corners whatever and like just typing in these things it like changes the model and then like turns it into uh, how it would flatten out the sheet metal and then it like also gives like a bunch of schematics and a cut list and it's like amazing um, and at the time he was frustrated that there wasn't something like that in Fusion um, I don't need something that elaborate but yeah it'd be nice if there's something where it's just like 
this is the thing that changes. Just I need a bunch of different small changes of this. Yeah, I think that's exactly what configurations do, actually. So might be worth messing with. Yeah, I'll I'll look it up later. Um, but besides that, uh, oh, uh, I feel like in the world people tend to complain uh, more than praise things. So I want to say something good that happened in terms of customer service. Oh, um, I know it's it's never happened before. Um, uh, Maritool, I cracked one of the sk nuts on a holder wow i just i just noticed it was cracked i didn't know how it was cracked because uh you know i didn't load it into the machine crack so i think it did it just after i loaded it or at some point during use and so i i emailed maritool and i'm like uh i got this cracked nut you know is at least there a page i can't find to order a new one and uh i think i was uh directly emailing Frank from Maritool, who maybe owns it or something. And then um, he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, uh, I'll, you know, no charge. I'll, I'll send you another one. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks. And I was like, I think I I think I found it. They're actually on this holder. You don't usually write it. But on this holder, it says it says uh, crank to uh, 90 foot pounds. And uh, that's what I did. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't think that's correct. I think it actually should be such and such numbers. Uh, sorry about that. And then he's like, I looked at your order, and you have actually two two holders. So I'll send you two nuts because I assume you probably tightened both of them. And you're, I'm like, you're right. I probably did tighten them both. Thanks for sending two nuts. And then I was like, why don't you just... Uh, you know, put the correct foot pound on, like, every holder. Most it doesn't even you know, put the right number. I've kind of, you know, for ER call it's, I've just kind of gone with other people's numbers. And he said, uh, Oh, that, you know, it'd be, there's so many different product pages and stuff. If we want to change them and keep it accurate, you know, we'd have to change everything. So I just prefer to keep it in the FAQ. And I said, well, that makes sense. But why don't you, uh, maybe you could just make like a PDF that links on all the, the holder pages and uh, just have that PDF have like a list of all the, the torques so it's like easier to find, but it's only one thing that has to be updated instead of every page. And he said, that's a great idea. We should do that. <laughs> so, I, so I don't know if he'll do that, but I think that's like a, the best customer uh, service experience I've ever had probably. Yeah, nice. Maritool is great. I've had a couple of good experiences with Maritool as well. So Same. So I just felt like Gotta gotta praise the people who do it right. Yeah, seriously. There aren't enough of them. Uh but I don't know if I can't remember if there's anything else I had to talk about. Uh John? Uh <laughs> well, I feel like I haven't done anything the last two weeks, but I definitely have been in the garage working on things, so yeah, Wait, even, you've been working away on maintenance and fixing things, haven't you? Yeah, just like general household stuff and then just random life stuff. Like yesterday, I spent a long time resealing the, uh, what do you call it? The skylight roof in my bath, um, the light in my bathroom. Okay. <laughs> on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and then like another day, my uh, parents bought like this piece of property. So we went and looked at a tractor or like tractors for my dad. Uh-huh. 
So it was just like stuff like that. And then between okay. all that shop stuff, like end mills are now properly organized, but I don't have a real system for still ordering them, but at least there's a standard on how they get categorized and all that, which okay. in reality is not the most important thing, but like it was halfway done. And so stuff wasn't really that organized. And I was like, okay, well, it's just time to actually get it working. Right. So that, that took way longer than as usual you expect. Cause it's like, uh-huh. okay, just make these tags and then put them on. And then, you know, there's like 70 different end mill boxes and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And then the lathe, I wasn't really happy with how it, I aligned the turret last time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to actually buy a good coax indicator. And I did that. So I bought like a Blake coax indicator. I guess they're the people who actually made the original coax indicator. So I bought one on eBay for pretty cheap, like 250 or 225 or something. And a new one from Blake's like 600, but it looked pretty new and it seems to be pretty new. <laughs> so been using that and actually aligning the turret as close as I could get it, which is way better than it has been. Cause what I was doing was actually sliding the turret in X. So like just jogging it in X and then having like an indicator in the spindle and then rotating the turret like to three different positions and doing that to three different stick tools. But the problem is like the stick tools are now older than they used to be. And you don't really know that doesn't feel really accurate to me by like swinging it and then like sliding an actual indicator along a stick tool. So with the coax indicator, you can actually like properly do a boring bar holder in three positions. So I did that. And then the other thing was the sub spindle, which was actually way more difficult than I thought it was going to be. So I've aligned it once. And on this one, it's not, some have like a, a rotating pin where you can loosen it and then it, you basically only have the ability to swing the nose of the spin, the sub spindle and up on a 45. So the sub spindle on this machine is also on the slant bed. I don't know if other lays are different. And this one, you have four bolts and you can actually move the sub spindle every direction. So you can actually knock it out of flatness and out of center line. Oh, yeah. And so what happened was, I, and I've done this, like I said, I've done this before and I thought it was correct. But the last time I ran a bunch of parts, I started noticing that collets were getting weird wear marks in like random spots. Interesting. And I, I was like, that's really weird because it looks like it transfers properly. And then the last time I actually did a real like amount of parts and there were right. some transfers, you could watch the subspindle move <laughs> as it transfers oh. parts. Oh, no. And it was it was actually like way off center line to where it's kind of confusing because you would stick the indicator in the main spindle and you'd bring the sub spindle over and let's say the main spindle is fixed indicator and the coax indicators in the main spindle and you rotate the sub spindle and then you get it aligned like what you think is concentricity I guess right and so. You do this, but if you then turn the main spindle, it would go out of concentricity because they weren't actually in center line of each other. I was basically right. just aligning a, a singular 
this like the singular point of the main spindle to the rotation of the subspindle. Yeah. And so what what you actually what I found out you had to do was coax indicators in the sub, in the main and then you would spin the main and the sub in the same phase with each other and then align it that way and that would show if it was out or in center line and when you did that it was off by like 15 thou so I was like oh that's probably oh no really why and so I basically loosened the sub spindle up knocked it around and then I couldn't get it to line up in this would be like the theoretical y direction so in x you could get it really easy because it's on you know it's on that sliding 45 kind of thing so it's pretty easy to get it there but you would you do this like you know this center line phase check whatever and i couldn't you can't adjust how how do i explain this so like you're standing there it's at a 45 and since the subspindle slides along a 45 you can adjust the 45 relative to the main spindle but you can't adjust the opposite 45 the one that would be like looking down into the center of that that sliding 45 if that makes any sense just basically the opposite angle you have no adjustment for because it's right. literally like it's sitting on a shim and yep. that's what sets that distance and it was off by like not a lot but it was off by like two thou and i was like okay i think the shim has to be adjusted for it to actually get in the center line. So I, right. so I loosened the subspindle up and I, I 3D printed some spacers and I <laughs> knocked the shim out and put the spacers in. And there was, I think this is what it was. There was like either dried paint or a chip or something had actually wedged its way into the face of the shim. And the shim is like, you know, it's a 20 inch long, like surface ground shim. The sub actually oh. sits oh, on. Oh, wow, yeah. It's like so, a, a gib or something. Well, it's on, it's, it's the sub, it's basically the sub plate. I forget what you call it. The sub plate for the sub spindle is on linear rails, but the actual plate has these, these, uh, so, so does the turret, the turret and the, the sub spindle are, they're on completely different rails, right? Yeah. They're on completely separate uh, but you're saying that like they're because you said something when at the start of the conversation about them both being like on the slant or something. Yeah. So just for for visualization, just remove the turret and its movement out of your mind. Okay. Because what I was aligning was had nothing to do with the turret, minus the straightness or parallelism well, like X. But, but the rails of the subspindle aren't just like straight towards the Spindle of the main spindle? No, they're also on a forty-five. They're on the slant bed as as well. Huh. So you're basically Is that trying normal, Balin. I haven't. I... Hello. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can hear me, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My my sub is also on the. It's on the slant of the slant bed. Huh. Yeah. I, I haven't. I haven't used that many lathes. So, yeah, so I'm sure if I looked inside one, I would, I would, uh, it would make sense. So basically like your main spindle on, on my lathe anyways, is sitting on the slant. So at a 45 and it shimmed to some distance. And I would, I would guess from the factory, that's like the master for the whole machine. So wherever that shimmed, wherever that center line is, uh, then the rest of the machine is, is measured off. That is my guess. So anyways, I took the these this shim off. 
I only took the front shim off the sub spindle because the rears, basically your the distance of error, I would say, between the front shim and the rear shim. And I'm only trying to correct this like tooth out of lift, if you will. With that chip that was on that shim, what I did was stoned both sides of the shim and I reinstalled it and it actually went in red zero, which was actually really cool because usually oh, wow. you're, never that, you're never that lucky. But right. I guess it ended up being that chip. And so just doing the front shim was enough to get it the nose of the sub spindle in center line with the main spindle. So finally, for once, I think it's the entire lathe is as lined as I can physically I can physically bear. Nice. But, yeah. So yeah. And I mean that took like, you know, you think, oh, it's gonna be a couple hours and then it ends up being like just hours and hours of doing this stuff oh yeah not, not to mention the fact that okay great i've done all this work now every single offset is off every single position mm -hmm. is off and uh -huh. so basically you have to reprogram the entire because i'm doing pivots right now and those require like a sub spindle transfer so you end up redoing everything and it just takes hours and hours it <laughs> yelp yeah Jeez, can we just take a moment to appreciate 3d printers yep there's because uh, so I used mine when I was working on my pen bodies uh, for my ejector pin for the sub spindle. Mm -hmm. I made a really tiny one because all of our parts up to now have been really tiny. And I really didn't want to have to make a new pin because they're really long, didn't want to mess with it. So I just 3D printed a polycarbonate sleeve to go over the existing one with some set screw holes on the back of it. And it works awesome. Yeah, that reminds me. Um, so. So I was before the this the maker syndicate, the show, I ran out of stop pins. And okay. when I like learn as you go, the the first set of knives that I did or the first like huge batch of stop pins I did. And I made like hundreds of the things because I was like, I don't want to make them again kind of thing. Right. So, so I ran out and then I was making them on the lathe and I was like much more critical and actually just better at machining stuff this time around. And I was like, I want them to have no taper. Like I want them to have basically one tenth of taper and they're, they're short. I mean, they're like yeah. uh, maybe two, eight, five. So okay. they're not, they're not long pins, but I was like one tenth of taper is what I want the standard to be. And I think you could realistically do that. This was before doing it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as long as you had chucked up and the main spindle on mine's got like a 16 C call it. So okay. as long as you're chucked up like right up against the nose of the thing as close as you can get it, then you should be able to do that. So what I was finding was, and I'm not using the bar loader, I take like it's their 18 inch three eighths bars is what I'm using. So I just cut them on a bandsaw yep. and then feed them manually. And then eventually when you get it rolling, the subspindle will just pull them. I found that the first, like I ran this, I ran these pins and I could not get them to not cut taper like every single strategy known to man. And I'm like, it's literally only sticking like half an inch away from the collet. And I mean, like the parting blade would come in and you, you could barely see light up against it. It was that close to the nose of the thing. And I was like, oh, wow. There's, and it was like taper. I mean, there were some of them. It was like six tenths of taper on this short distance. And I was like, where is this coming from? I just spent my entire life aligning this thing and yeah. it should not have this. So I found out that it was the bar whipping and oh, and, and that sounds really bad, but it's, it's not actually whipping. It's just enough like 
rolling out of center line because it's just long enough to where it would do that. So the bar got shorter and shorter. And mind you, this entire time I'm working on it, like going to Fusion, posting new stuff, like trying a whole bunch of strategies. And then like, yeah, you know, I made like 20 of these things and I'm the bar is getting shorter and the taper went away. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, I was like, okay, cool. The last strategy I did worked perfect. Keep right. running it. Keep running it. Yep. And I get to the end, like last inch of it. And now I'm running out of actual call it support. So it's end up, you know, you only got like a half inch call it support. The taper yep. came back. <laughs> and that's when I realized that was, it was the bar's fault essentially. Oh so, man. Rolling this back into printers, I was like, I'm going to make a spindle liner. And most people just tell you to, you know, buy one. So yep. I didn't, know anything about spindle liners but they're typically start from the back and go forward well well i was like i can't print one that long because you know the spindle tube is you know three feet long or whatever so i went went to the front and i was like would i be able to print one from the front that barely gets in the way of the threads and is like you know seven inches long because it doesn't need to be that that big to support these 18 inch bars or whatever yeah and so I managed to actually get the printer to print this like seven inch long, just out of like PLA, three eighths uh, spindle liner essentially. And the thing is like the exact same diameter for seven inches because it has to be for the spindle liner. And then like the inner diameter of the actual support hole for the material is like perfect all the way through. And I was like, awesome. I was like, this is really cool considering the fact that, you know, the X1C or whatever is only like $1,600. And I'm like, I honestly think in like 15 years when printers can print stuff up to like 80% of machined part strength, machining is going to be like a lot more specialized type thing. Oh, definitely. It's crazy, honestly, even now, how good of like, I mean, have you seen the, like the strength of PLA tough versus just regular PLA? I don't know. I'm not very familiar with it. It's like a 40% strength increase. And like Holy there, have been, there have been some prints that I've done in regular PLA that I'm like, this will never work. And then, you know, it works just fine. But that's so cool. I, I, I think kind of I mean, it, it's already kind of true how niche machining is where it's like I, I struggle when people ask me what I do or have asked me what I've done in the past. It's like everything is either stamped metal or injection molded plastic. Because yeah. it's so much faster to stamp things or injection mold them. So it's hard to even like come up with an example of like, oh, this is a thing that would be machined. You know, in everyday life, you use such a nice billet aluminum stapler. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, then you could argue that the mold for the injection molding machine was machined. So, like, well, that's, that's yeah, what... that's usually how I talk about it. I talk about like machines where everything starts, you know. Yeah. But that's, that's how you get the people. It's like the saying that everything around you had something to do with machining yes. and they're like but <laughs> because of this right yeah it's always really fun to look at the insides of like molded plastic components so you can still see the tool marks because i didn't polish it out yeah yep. yeah it's no, so super interesting it it's pretty wild and uh yeah i don't know lathe stuff <laughs> lathe stuff yep oh um so i'm rebuilding the live tool i was doing that just before i came in here yeah i saw your stories it actually was seized because I, oh, I bolted, it was like the last tool I needed to set up for these pivots. So I bolted it in and I was like, I know it's seized, but can I get it to spin by putting it in the machine and then like, you know, 
using the wrench or whatever to spin it. I was like, no, these are very seized. So I took it out (laughs) and I was like, I've heard these are easy to rebuild. Took it apart and that needle bearing was like pretty bad. So I was like, okay, cool. Got that all apart. And uh, it actually started to roll and free up. And I was like, oh, perfect. That's the only thing I'd seized. And I was like, well, maybe I'll take the front bearings out too. So that needle bearing in the back is, as I understand it, is just for support for the actual driver of the back, like on the back. But the actual locating, like we're going to keep centerline bearings are up right. front. And they're okay. deep roll baller, uh, baller. They're deep row ball bearings. Okay. And there's a nut on the back. And it's one of these like four, it's got four square cutouts in it kind of nut, which mm-hmm. I need to get the actual wrench for because I encounter these things so much and end up just using a chisel to knock them free. Well, the chisel <laughs> did not knock this one free. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go get the torch. But before I did that, I made sure that there was no plastic or rubber that I was about to light on fire. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, scratched like the edge of the case of the bearings and then like the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the thing that supports the balls from coming out. Right? Um, oh yeah, the no, that's uh the carrier, ball carriers or something like that. Something like the word cage. The ca- yep. Yeah. Um so it was phenolic. Oh no. <laughs> so I I it smell like oh no. Yeah, so I, I'm like heating this nut up and I'm like, hmm, it smells like something shouldn't be on fire. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, well that's fine. So I got pretty hot and I'm trying to knock it off. And it's like this thing will not come out loose so i'm really looking at it and i was like oh that doesn't look good and so the cage is like half rolled over in black because you know oh, no. lit it on fire and uh come to find out those are like hundred plus dollar bearings for one and i was like oh that's expensive oh, and so i go through this all this trouble and i'm like you know what i can just repack these bearings with that this is something oh, so i was like that was stupid the only problem with my entire thought process here is like yeah, it's fine. I'm just going to reassemble it. I'm pretty sure that phenolic is now very brittle, so I won't. I don't expect it to last much longer. It'll probably like explode at some point. But <laughs> anyways, oh. that'll probably be back together tomorrow. But so oh, yeah, phenolic, phenolic can sometimes look like aluminum or steel or whatever because it was like I was like, yeah, that's interesting. That's oh. Yep. Yep. Good times. Well, hopefully you got it back up and going. Yeah, the I mean the live tools are very, very simply built. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this and has messed with one knows, but I mean they're very. I know why they're loud now because they're just. It's like a, it's like a one speed transmission. It's all it is. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's all like straight cut gears and whatnot. It's just. Or are they are they helical? It's just uh, it's that back, um, needle bearing, to for the live tool. And then for the drive, I mean, and then there's on the actual main shaft that's like hugged by the steel black, the actual thing that gets bolted to the turret. Okay. There's a deep, deep groove ball bearing, which is the one I lit on fire. There's a spacer. There's a spacer or, um, yeah, it's like a sleeved shoulder, essentially. I think it's really to set preload against the two, these two bearings. And then there's a front identical uh, ball bearing up against the nose, okay. and that's literally it. And they're they're just open, 
like ball bearings and they're supposed to be packed with grease, I would guess. And this one has not had grease for years, I'm sure. So, yep, that's how they, that's how this one works anyways, but good times. Okay. Yeah, that's why they're so loud because they're not, you know, they're really just, they're not rough bearings, but they're just not actively grease bearings. And uh, I don't know, they're huge really for what they are. Um, I don't know. I don't know anything about bearing, so that's about it. Yep. That's so did you make the spindle liner? Yeah, I just printed it. Have you tried it yet? Oh, yeah. No, it's installed. And it's working? Yeah, it works really good, actually. And I was a little bit worried about the 16C collet and interfering with, like, the draw tube, essentially. And uh, it doesn't and i also found out how the 16c college chuck disassembles because i was testing it and i like yanked on it and it came out in my hand and the actual part that's attached to the draw tube was separated and i was like did i just snap that in half <laughs> but mm. yeah it's fine and it seems to work and i don't know pla is very coolant resistance i have found out so my hopes are extremely high yep okay that's, so that's is this good. one X facing? Is this one uh, radial facing or uh, or axial facing? The live tool is the axial one, so I need it for the pivots to do the weird shoulder on them. Ah, yep, got it. So that's the ninety degree. Uh, yep. yeah, this is just straight facing the spindle. Because oh. radial yeah, so is the is the ninety degree one. All I was going to ask Whoa, is, uh, really? How... Yeah, because if you have a if the live tool like faces is like in line with the z-axis. I think that's considered axial. And then one that's 90 degrees to or perpendicular to x-axis is radial. Oh right, but the but your block itself has a 90 in it. It it no. has to transmit the power 90. No, it's just straight. Oh, our our life tooling setup is very different. Are they all like 90? Uh no, so the ones that that point in x, the ones that are in line with x are like, you know, the radial ones, those are just straight. The ones that go in Z are are kicked at ninety. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I've seen the that style where the basically they have like a reduction gear in them, and then they have like a weird offset to them kind of thing. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, because the the I'll take a picture. More sense. I don't think I've ever used a lathe that has live tooling. It's super fun. As usual, oh, my recommendation is, yeah, if you get a live tool lathe, please get a Y-axis. No, yeah, definitely. I, uh, Dalen and you are helping me stave off excitement. Like, it would be nice to get a lathe with all this cool stuff eventually, but I'm, I'm kind of happy maybe sticking with mills for longer, maybe getting another mill before a lathe, because, man, it, right. you it know, sounds okay. like a uh, yeah, pain. Yes, and I've experienced it. The bright side is, as long as you don't crash your parts catcher, it should be less than seven thousand dollars to fix. Okay, that's less, good. I less think than seven thousand dollars to run. I could beat that record, but I'm gonna try not to. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. see what you're talking about. It's because the turret I have is VDI forty, so I'd have. Yep. I would so assume yeah. something. I'm assuming your your live tool like drive dog is pointing like is pointing towards Z instead of out of the turret in X. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Just, okay, cool. Yeah. So, so what I was going to ask is, where is the actual motor that powers the live tools? It it's is, up in the. It's to the right of the turret. 
yeah, like mine's up in there. Mine's against the. It has like a motor that sits in the turret case, essentially, and it's just yep. got a shaft, and it goes through a little hole. Yep. And so the turret face rotates, and the little drive part will duck out of the way, and then when the new tool spot shows up, it'll get spring loaded back forward. And if a tool there has a drive dog of or the actual like a male mating uh, driver, it'll link up to it. And if it doesn't, it'll just sit there and do nothing kind of thing. Yeah. Any sense. Yeah, I don't think I understood any of that. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> that yep. sounds so much it's more complicated simple. than I thought it would be. Oh, it's, it's really it's, it's really simple. Yeah, on, it's really on simple. Yeah. Uh, Same on yeah, mine. Because like you have to get a lathe that supports it right because i've used like the cheapest hoss lathe multiple times like uh where it you know it no y-axis definitely not and like um no live tools and i assume that like it probably never could use live tools no because you have to have a way you have to have a spindle and coder that can actually oh, that too, yeah like its location and then there's a whole slew of stuff with that. Yeah. Way, way yeah, over the, my understanding. but Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the live tools have their own encoder because I mean, at least mine does because I can, I can rigid tap with these if I really wanted to. I never would, though. I think I could, too, because the motor, as far as I understand, has there's a motor encoder. Like, yep. I, I can't imagine it would be good at this, yeah, right. this point in its life, but... Yeah, honestly, maybe might be better than this the spindle because the spindle's on a belt, and that's just oh, a direct fair. drive. So maybe. Yep. I f- I feel like both of the lathes I'm thinking of, the people who bought them were just like, well, we got to have a lathe, and didn't think about like how annoying it would actually be to make most parts, and that like, you know, unless they're just making circles, only round parts, you know, it's not going to get used. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know how people buy lathes now without like I I get it if you're like we just need to turn raw material down to this to get thrown into a mill then I guess yeah. that makes sense but like I mean like Daylin literally makes bushings like maybe it makes sense for him to no. buy like just one lathe that only makes bushings all day or something but like any kind of job shop it's like why would you why would you buy I mean I don't know I went to a shop that makes a lot of like motors for the food industry i guess like electric mm-hmm. motor casings and parts and i guess they make a ton of round stuff and so they had a lot of round yeah i mean only you just, round lathes but still you know be able to make a bolt circle or something on it it's crazy i mean you did just answer your your question with unless you're a job shop because i mean it, obviously if you need a bunch of bushings and you're like it costs this much to make x amount of bushings and a horrible two x's lathe costs this much money ahead and then job shops are like well i can't put bolt holes off center i don't want it yeah and uh that's how that happens right yeah i mean yeah, yeah. i i bought this lathe knowing i should have purchased like an l20 citizen yeah um so i wanted you know as many capabilities as i could to at least compete to some extent with an l20 mm-hmm. no like right now this lathe makes so much sense for you because yes like you were talking about for a little while getting some strange lathes like custom made or like they're kind of closer to a hobbyist level potentially 
Like, um, uh, yeah, I forget the. I already forget the name of that company. Um, actually, it was lathe, like a Swiss lathe, but it was like only seven grand or something. Oh no, no, it was like it was like a hundred grand, just under a hundred. I thought you found one that was really cheap. Oh, there was the little tabletop Swiss lathe that I was that I was intrigued by. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I I've always thought like it's it's uh it's good like how Grimsmo did it where he started with the non Swiss lathe, uh-huh. because then you do have a little more options of what you can experiment with, or at right. least I think so because you know the bore is probably going to be way bigger than whatever Swiss lathe you end up getting. I guess I could be wrong. There's there's several different things that I think it's usually better to. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I have I have no regrets. Even like assuming I had unlimited buns, I probably still would have gotten this lathe over like an L twenty. No, I think I think yeah, it's it's uh <clears throat> seems like really good. Yep, even though my cycle times are like ten times longer than a Swiss right now. Yeah, but you're able to start messing with pens and stuff too. And not have to spend thirty hours setting up for it. Uh, no, that that yeah, part not so much. I've already done that. Yeah, just, <laughs> well, yeah, like actually, yeah. Sorry, I meant. Yep. It only takes you seventy hours. I wish Fusion had better support for sub spindle lathes. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. So my when I get to the actual programming part for these pivots, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna be like, here, Chat GPT. Here's my current post. Here's here's an example of the outputted code I want and see if you can edit the post to do this stuff. Oh, do you think it could? I think it could. With it some should massaging. be able to. I mean, yeah, chat GPT is, I mean, it's really good at code. Yeah. So you we'll know, see. It could probably crash my lathe on purpose for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, how you design things affects how you manufacture them. And I was really proud that I, I, I posted to Instagram this like a, uh, uh, strain relief cord thing. Yeah, and yeah. I was really, I was really proud of the design because it ended up working. It had threads, which I hadn't really done printed threads before. Yep. And it didn't require any support when printing, right? Like mm-hmm. people who design stuff for three D printing get crazy. They make super intricate things. I printed a bazooka that has spring in it that works. Uh, you know as one component with like a lock yep. and everything that launches yeah. stuff out of the bazooka. Um, like people have over the last 10 years or something, have made like crazy jumps in like understanding, like this is how you should design things for 3d printing. So there's minimal support. So things click together, what stuff should be multiple pieces, what should be one piece. And um, obviously that applies to everything, but I feel like it's just more obvious in 3d printing since it's newer. But, like, I was thinking about making these little gauges I talked about earlier, like, the old-fashioned way. But then I'm like, oh, wait, I already have a fixture for using round stock and then use this uh, keyway cutter to just make everything one-op. And so I'm just making these things in one-op. And, like, that's probably how I'm going to do a ton of things from now on. It's like, as long as I have a nice fixture and a keyway cutter in the mill... Anytime I need to make a little thing, I'm just going to make it as like a one-off part. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that is super nice. Have like a, s- a generic setup. And so, of course, like that's the thing we were talking about with uh, why lathes can be amazing. Why you'd want one is you could just, you can make lots of one-off parts in a lathe. Oh, yeah. And and having the sub-spindle and live tooling is like obviously a big part of that. 
Well, I mean, funny. Okay, sorry, go for it. You know, and, and, and we also hear about shops, you know, doing five axis stuff where they're, you know, making everything in one part. Um, and so I think that's what I like hope for, you know, we were talking about like more 3D printing in the future is, is I hope like people kind of get even better and better at just making uh, more, more machine stuff able to be machined in one op and, and more yep. clever ways to, to make parts more and more complex that still can only be one op. Right. I saw a thing last 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 point for 3D printers anyways the other day. This was like last week. Somebody came up with an algorithm that actually so for supports, you can support huh? you can print in basically thin air and the way the support works is it creates support lines that are at like a 45, not a 45. They're at, they use these like arcs and they're just continuously shaped arcs depending on the distance between like it, instead of having to make a bridge, which is like, you know, you try to make support material across pretty quick and have it right. solidify. This actually goes and it makes these continual like connecting arcs. And he did it. I can't remember why I saw this. I feel like it was maybe it was Reddit. And it was like a five inch bridge with these supports in thin air Holy all crap. the way across. And it was like flat. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's probably going to be next month's update kind of thing. So supports right. become... <laughs> Right, you know, obsolete, but yeah, it's the pace at which things are going is pretty wild. Yeah, it's super cool. Yep. So yeah, yeah. I've told Dale, and he needs to get one of those uh, conveyor belt printers to just print his boxes continuously. I would love to get one of those. I'm yeah, sure cool. it would be more finicky than the the bamboo labs, but. It'd be so funny and cool. Just just like having just like the parts catcher on a Swiss lathe or whatever, you're just piling up in a little box. Right. Yeah, that'd be neat. That'd be really cool. Anything else, guys? Um I think that's about it for me. I'm working on some stuff that uh I need to get back to here pretty soon, but Yep, that's all I got. Sweet. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Good night. Night.